This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. The question is, are the fat cats, are the 1% cutting into your money? And here's the thing. The wealthy people who have been benefiting from the offshore tax haven in Panama are being outed today. The secret identities of the people behind more than 200,000 anonymous offshore entities found inside the so-called Panama Papers are being made public in about an hour and a half. Now, you'll remember that this information comes from a leak from the Panamanian law firm Mossack Fonseca, which is one of the biggest players in the gray zone of offshore financing. The International Consortium of Investigative Journalism is releasing this data because it believes that the expose may reveal more high-profile cases of tax avoidance, terrorist financing, money laundering, and corruption that have gone unnoticed. And how does this affect you? Well, you're probably carrying some of the tax burden that the 1% with those tax havens are avoiding. So right now I'm on the line with the Canadian Taxpayer Excuse me, the Canadian Taxpayer Federation Federal Director Aaron Woodruck. Hi, Aaron. How are you? How are you doing, Libby? Fine. Well, is this a good thing outing all these people? Look, for the most part, uh, you know, we're a group that uh, we fight hard for low taxes uh, for average people, um, and we think everyone should, of course, pay their taxes, pay them on time. That applies to the wealthy people as well. Um, So if there is anyone here, if there are wealthy people who are breaking the law, who are engaging in tax evasion, um, they should, of course, be pursued and punished. CRA should do that. Uh, But I think we do want to be careful. There are also legitimate means uh, for for moving money offshore, completely legitimate business ones. So I don't really want to lump them all in the same category. I, I don't have any sympathy for people breaking the law, but I do think we need to hesitate a little bit. If there are people who are doing things legitimately, uh, do we want to lump them in the same category? Well, well, a lot of these things are legal. I guess the question is, the larger question is, should they all be legal? Um, there are economists who believe that what they call the financial opacity yep. of tax havens, which means it's really hard to know what's going on with these things and and who all is, is there. And um, that is one of the driving forces behind income inequality, which is a growing problem in our society. Don't, do you, or would you agree with that? Well, yeah. Look, I would agree certainly with the statement that uh, there is too much opacity in some of these uh, in some of these jurisdictions, and that we should look at tightening up the laws. We need to look at what the loopholes we need to close us. Um, but you know, that's the step. Uh, if something we don't like is morally wrong, but it's not illegal, you know, it's it's different. We can try and make it illegal, and that's what we should be talking about. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I totally agree with the inequality link. Uh, I don't know that it always follows that. Uh, you know, just because some people are wealthy, that money is coming from 
from people who are not wealthy. I do agree that we have to talk about, you know, what are the long-term consequences um, of those sorts of things, but I don't know that there's a straight-line causality. But what I think is motivating people here, Libby, on the Panama Papers is that people are justifiably upset. You know, we pay our taxes, uh, we work hard, we pay our taxes, and it really sticks in our craw to think that there are some people, especially people who have a lot more money than us, who are, are not paying their fair share. I think that is what the concern is. The question is, as I said, if they're doing it legally and we just don't like it morally, is that the same as if they are breaking the law? Um, and if not, maybe we need to look at changing the law. Well, ex- I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's not it, – a lot of these people are, are not breaking the law. But uh, we, I think that perhaps we need to change the laws because, again, you know, if you are a middle-class person and middle-class working people, you know, these days that, that usually means barely getting by – barely making ends meet and having a good life, uh, while people who are, again, much wealthier than you, than us, are, are, are finding all kinds of ways to avoid tax. I mean, uh, a lot of the people setting up offshore tax havens like this, they're spending more money to set up the tax yeah. haven than, than most people make. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, a few things there. One is, it is a really a global issue, right? It, it's difficult to tackle these things piecemeal. I think Canada needs to work through, you know, its trade organizations, through other multilateral institutions, because to tackle this, you kind of all have to be on the same page. Uh, you, you know, if one country becomes too strict, you might scare off sort of investment and capital from your own. If you all do it at the same time, I think it's easier to tackle it in that sense. So, and the other thing, too, that I think is lost in this is, is Canada Revenue Agency, um, you know, on the one hand, they're accused of being too lax and cutting special deals for rich people, which, of course, we oppose. Canada, Canada Revenue Agency should not make special deals just for the rich. The flip side is CRA can be extremely hard and punitive on average people. I mean, we have supporters, Libby, who are average small business people who have who've basically been driven into the poorhouse because CRA has come down on them so hard in inappropriate ways. So it's, again, rather galling to see average people being treated in a draconian way by CRA while we see what look like sweetheart deals made for, for the wealthy at the same time. Can you give me an example of that kind of uh, draconian treatment by the CRA? Yes, actually, we have uh, one big supporter whose name is Irv LaRue. He owned uh, an RV park in northern British Columbia. This is going back about 20 years. The CRA uh, made some allegations about taxes that he owed and that he had done certain things wrong. Um, He fought back. This uh, cost him 15 years of litigation. In the end, he won, but it was a hollow victory because he'd been driven bankrupt by the fact that CRA had had, uh, made these allegations. So, you know, it's a hollow victory for him. The one upside is it did establish a new legal precedent, which means that all taxpayers have what's called a duty of care that CRA is required to treat you as a taxpayer with a certain amount of respect and understanding that they essentially have the power to drive small business people or average people uh, into bankruptcy. So was the issue they just said that he owed taxes that he in fact did not owe? Um, Just give us a little more of an idea of how this plays out. Yeah, that was part of it. Um, they made they were very threatening. They sent uh, they essentially bluffed on a couple of things they said they could do that they could not. Um, it was uh, you know I don't mean to suggest this is what all CRA folks do. I'm sure most of them are honest people doing their job. But it's an example of the flip side of what we see, which is. You know, we often hear stories about wealthy people getting off the hook, and that may, may very well be true. The flip side is CRA can be very, very aggressive 
with, with uh, much less powerful people. And that does have an impact, of course, on these people's livelihoods. Mm-hmm. Do you have uh, any kind of sense of, of how many small businesses are uh, the victims of this kind of thing? It, it, it ranges. Um, obviously, when this story became public, we received quite a few comments. Um, you know, it has, has garnered some attention on Parliament Hill as well, uh, because it is, uh, it is a serious issue for these people. Um, we don't know how widespread it is, uh, but we do know that when, you know, when we draw attention to these issues, uh, CRA does uh, seem to, to pay more attention to it and, and act a little more uh, carefully in terms of uh, knowing that the public is watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally speaking, uh, do you think that our tax laws favor the very wealthy, or is it just that they have access to some very high-priced advice? Yeah, that is one of the problems, Libby. At the end of the day, uh, people with with a lot of means at their disposal can hire a lot of experts to figure things out that the rest of us can't. But I think what it does say about our tax system is that it is needlessly complicated. Uh, you know, if you make a tax system simple it takes away these kinds of loopholes. It makes it harder to hide the money. And also, it makes it easier for CRA to do their job. CRA has to spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year chasing after people who they think are exploiting loopholes. If you just get rid of the loopholes, um, you fix the problem on both ends. You get rid of the ability of people to hide money, and you also make it easier to just enforce the law. Okay, hold that thought. We are going to take a quick break. I'm going to give the numbers again, 416-360-0740, Does our tax system favor the rich? Are there too many loopholes? We're about to find out the identities of people uh, behind these offshore tax havens, uh, the 1% who are saving tax while the rest of us carry uh, a heavier and heavier tax burden? Have you had bad experiences with the Canada Revenue Agency? Is it too lax? Are they too strict? Uh, We want to hear from you. We are on the line with the Canadian Taxpayer Federation's Federal Director, Aaron Woodrick, and we are going to be back after a short break. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We're talking about the Panama Papers. Uh, That is the leak of documents from a Panamanian law firm that specializes in setting up these offshore havens. And the issue behind this is, are the 1%, the people who can afford to get into these havens, uh, avoiding taxes while the rest of us, while the middle class is uh, shouldering a larger burden? And do we have to tighten up the rules here? Because a lot of these things, quite frankly, are legal. I'm on the line with Aaron Woodrick, the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayer Federation. And Aaron, uh, I see that uh, at least one of the big banks is going to hand over records of uh, people involved in the Panama Papers uh, to the Canada Revenue Agency. Is that the right thing to do? Yeah, you know, that's, uh, that it's tempting to say yes, and certainly if there are anyone who, who it looks like or there's allegations they have broken any law, you should do that. But I, I do pause because I think we have to be careful about, you know, if we have moral outrage, does that always justify uh, exposing the privacy of people? And I give you a different example. I mean, in our society, uh, you know, uh, cheating on your spouse is frowned upon. It's, it's something that most people find morally reprehensible, but it's not illegal. 
And, you know, would it be, if we had a list of, for example, everyone who cheated on their spouse, would it be a good idea to, to make that public? Would that, would that be something we want to do? And so uh, that is the sort of analogy. That, that allegedly brought. happened. Yeah, well, yeah. Those are the people, uh, I would say, the people who are trying to cheat on their spouse anyway by going on, on Ashley Madison. But, you know, that's an example of something. There are things we find morally wrong, and we have a choice. We can either grumble about it, or we can maybe move the law to, to, to align with what we think is morally inappropriate. So in these situations, I, I'm not sure it's exactly exactly identical here, because there is obviously, a, as you mentioned off the top, uh, an implication for everyone else. If someone is not paying uh, tax, that leaves the rest of us to hold the bag, and that is, that is a concern. So I, I, I won't say uh, it's exactly analogous, but I do want people to think twice. Do we really want to um, you know, do away with privacy just because we're morally outraged, or do we want to change the law uh, to align with a point where we're comfortable saying, okay, now uh, you know, anyone that's breaking the law, of course, should be punished and pursued? Well, and it's also the question of these uh, middlemen, middle people. You have accounting, some of the big accounting firms heavily involved with this, with with advising their clients to go ahead and do this. Uh, Do they bear any responsibilities, Aaron Woodruff? Yes, absolutely. If uh, if they are, especially if they are in any way counseling people to break the law, they definitely must be held accountable for that. I mean, in fact, if you're the client, you can point to them and say, look, they're the experts. I just, I just took their advice. So I don't think they get off the hook at all. But again, if, uh, if a uh, accounting firm is simply saying, well, look, there is this gray area and it gets even more complicated, Libby, because there may be something, for example, that's perfectly legitimate for one purpose, but if you lie about your purpose, uh, you are now technically breaking the law. So, uh, you know, in the same way that we see this with uh, medical marijuana, you know, you may have a legal reason to access it, um, but there are others who may lie about that. Now, we may not have to worry about that issue very soon, as it may all be legal, but uh, it just goes to show that sometimes you can have something that is legal for one thing, but but not for another. Okay, I'm giving out the numbers again, uh, 416-360-0740 or toll-free, 1-866-744-740, and we're talking about taxes and fairness now that the identities of the people in those leaked Panama Papers are about to be made public. So we're going to find out exactly who is benefiting from those tax havens. And I guess the big question is, should we be closing some of those loopholes? Because when the 1% save the taxes, we end up paying more. I mean, you know, there's, I don't think there's any getting around that equation. The numbers again, 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-744-740. I'm on the line with Aaron Woodrick. Um, and again, um, Aaron, you know, you have obviously a, a lot of uh, dealings and issues with the Canada Revenue Agency, but do you think for the most part they get the balance right? Yeah, it's it's tough to say. It's such a complex organization. It's such a big organization. Um, you know, they have an important job to do, and I, I have no doubt most of them uh, do their best. But, uh, you know, the tax code is so complicated. I can't stress this enough, Libby. I mean, it's over, it's twice as long as War and Peace. I mean, this is an extremely long piece of legislation. I, I mean, I spend my day talking about taxes. I can't do my taxes myself, Libby. I need an expert to help me, or at least, the very least, one of these programs on my computer, because it's just too complicated, and it shouldn't be that way. And that's what makes everybody's life miserable, whether you're a taxpayer or whether you're CRA trying to do your job. Uh, you know, we don't have to agree. We're, we're a low tax group, but even if you don't ag- agree with that, um, surely we can agree simpler taxes would be better for everybody involved. When you say simpler taxes, what, what are you talking about? Are you talking about like a f- flat taxes or what do you mean? 
well, look, flat tax would be great for us, but simple, a simple saying, look, you earn this much, you pay this much. There's no deductions and exemptions and, you know, all these kind of loopholes and carve-outs. Our, our tax code is just cluttered up with these things. It would be easier to just get rid of them all, and if you could probably afford to cut taxes a little bit for everyone, and you'd still get the same amount of revenue. It would just be a lot easier involved. You know, I tell people a story. I used to live in Hong Kong a few years ago. I spent a year there. I did my taxes there. It was one page. It was front and back. It took me about 10 minutes, and it's pretty straightforward. You put in, you know, how much did you earn, how many hours did you work, and then, well, you pay, you pay 13 15%, whatever it was, off the bottom. You know right there and then. There's no computer programs. There's no hiring experts. It's all very straightforward. Um, and frankly, it, it, does, uh, it does a lot of good in terms of not distorting the economy because a lot of people use these loopholes uh, in ways that make everything very inefficient. Yeah, but, you know, governments also use the tax code to encourage certain kinds of programs or behavior. I mean, for instance, we've got uh, RRSP, so they're encouraging people to save for retirement by giving them a tax break. Uh, Lately, we've seen tax breaks for parents who put their kids in in sports. Uh, We've seen tax breaks for caregivers. Yep. Look, and I think the broader the class, I think the stronger the case. So we talk about retirement, right, RRSPs or RESPs. I think you can make a stronger case that that applies to almost everyone. But when we get into things like you mentioned, the child fitness tax credit, then the question is, well, what about the arts credit, which they actually also brought in eventually? And then what about, well, what about adults? And it's sort of, you know, governments are forced to pick and choose. This behavior is worth a tax cut, but that one isn't. You know, should we get a tax cut for taking our recycling out? But, you know, what about if we install, uh, you know, water-efficient taps in our house and so on and so on? And it just becomes very complicated. So I think there are other means. If, if, if the government wants to encourage certain types of behavior, it doesn't mean we always have to look to the tax code to, to be the way to do that. So if, it, if not the tax code, then what? Well, for example, if you've got situations where, for example, low-income people, who are often a legitimate group that we target aid at, uh, perhaps we look at just a, a, a straight-up rebate or transfer to those people instead of making the tax code so complicated. You could say, well, you know, if, if we are concerned about, for example, uh, low-income people not being able to access transit, you know, they, we will calculate based on your, um, on your income or, or even something other than that, what it, where you live, you know, you get a, a fixed amount of dollars rather than rebating it to, through the tax code. So there are ways to transfer money that don't always involve um, having to fill, fill it out on your, on your CRA form. Mm-hmm, that's interesting. Uh, the numbers, people, 416-360-0740 or 1-866-744-740. Uh, do you have any issues with your taxes? The names of people uh, leaked in the Panama Papers are being released today uh, at 2 o'clock. And again, these are uh, wealthy people, members of the so-called 1% who are uh, using offshore tax havens. And uh, the big question and uh, what seems to me obvious is that, you know, when when these people are saving lots of money on their taxes, it means middle-income people, you are paying more. I'm on the line with Aaron Woodrick of the Canadian Taxpayer Federation. And uh, again, Aaron, you know, uh, it just seems to me, you know, are we wrong to think that there are obviously more sort of loopholes for the rich? Uh, And the things that you mentioned that you say are making uh, the tax code too complicated, I mean, they're things that are usually aimed at middle class people. 
Well, it depends. And I'm not against relief for the middle class. I'm saying it can be often delivered more efficiently. Rather than having, for example, 50 different loopholes, you can just get rid of the loopholes and then lower the rate, for example, for people making under 40000 or 50000 a year. Um, and when, when you talk about wealthy accessing some of the loopholes, you're right, because frankly, a lot of these loopholes are not worth accessing unless you have a lot of money. And so those are things we should definitely look at closing or reducing. Um, as I say, you know, I, I, I have no doubt that there are some of these uh, loopholes that have to be changed and are maybe inappropriate or need to be defined more clearly so we can't have people abusing something for an illegitimate person. Because as you say, it does cost all of us uh, in the end. Um, if we're expected to bring in a certain amount of revenue and then we end up short, you know, who, who is going to make up the difference? It's going to be the rest of us. It's going to be the rest of us. Let's go to uh, Donna in Kawartha Lakes. Hi, Donna. Hi. How are you? I'm fine. This is likely a smaller item, but still, when the government tells you that if you donate money to the fires that are on in Alberta, that they will double your donation. Yep. Well, that money doesn't fall from the rainbow in the sky. That is our money. That's true. We are donating. So we really are donating twice the amount of money. Absolutely we are, yes. It's our money in the first place. And you think they shouldn't be doing that? Well, I just I just think it's a little ironic because people think of the government's money, federal or provincial, as being some uh, gold that falls down out of the sky. That is our money, too. It's our money they're donating when they double it. Uh, Absolutely, it's our money. And and, uh, I think you're right that we all wish that they would treat it as though it's our money a little more often. Right. They, they, they talk about it all the time as though it's something not related to the people at all. Yeah, we but I guess it's a question that, that, that they're allocating this to something that people uh, care about. Erin, do you have any point of view on that? Yeah, look, I think she makes an interesting point. It says it's easy for governments to be benevolent and generous because it isn't their money. It is our money. But, I, you know, I think most Canadians would agree this is a situation where it's, it's, it's the right thing to do. Uh, what I would point out is, uh, you know, charitable donations we get a tax credit on, and we think that's fine. Uh, what people may not realize is when you donate to a political party, you get a much bigger tax credit. The politicians have set it up so that donations to charity, you might get 15% back on your donation. Uh, to a uh, political party, the first $400, Libby, you get, you get 75% of it back on your tax. So I think that's a little bit odd in terms of priorities. I would argue donating to the Red Cross is a, is a higher uh, political, social objective, uh, sorry, than giving to political parties. And so uh, that, to me, is a big issue. Political, political parties are helping themselves to tax dollars, when really groups like charities, I think, are far more deserving. Um, I I would agree with you uh, that they're more deserving, but when we're in a situation where we're trying to avoid, again, the 1% wealthy people getting special access to politicians by limiting the amount of money they can contribute, 
uh, I mean, then perhaps uh, an incentive like that is in order. So you get, again, uh, larger numbers of, you know, regular people contributing to the political system rather than leaving it to the wealthy. Well, yeah, and I'm not suggesting that the limits be raised. I'm saying that, uh, you know, we, I think we often assume that political parties need more money than they do. Uh, we complain a lot about attack ads. These days with technology, reaching people is easier than ever. We don't even need to mail out flyers in a lot of cases. Um, so, frankly, we think political parties should hustle further checks. I mean, we are a group, for example, we do not receive uh, our donors. We exist solely by donations, Libby, and we, do not, um, we, do, we cannot offer a tax receipt. We have to hustle for our money or we don't exist. And so well, we think it's because you're what they would consider a lobby group, right? Well, uh, we don't. Uh, we're, we're not a lobby group, but I understand why people would say that. But we also we also do not benefit from any subsidy, and you know it's it's hard. We have to earn every penny. Um, you know, political parties maybe they don't have to eliminate the credit, but maybe they should be at a level at the same level as charities. And because frankly, if if a person has four hundred dollars to give and they have to choose between a political party and a charity, um, and they know they can get a bigger rebate uh, from the political party, might that not sort of affect their choice? And that means that charities are losing out uh, from the same pool. Money. Yeah, I, well, the I, other I, thing I think that sometimes you can learn things from other countries. Um, in the United States, you, you the money you pay to have your taxes prepared, because most people can't do it themselves these days. That is a deduction from your taxes as well. That's an expense. Right. So you're not out of pocket for doing your own taxes. Uh, for, for having them done. Right. Well, it's, right. It, it's, right. It's definitely a thought. We're, um, we're getting close to the time, so I, I'd like to try to just take one more call. Donna, thank you very thank much. Thank you. Okay. We've got Michael in Toronto. Hi, Michael. Hi. Um, as I've been listening, I, there are a couple comments. Um, you know, the United States tax code is insanely complex it's far worse than ours here yep. and in terms of incentivizing when and there, there are two streams one is it's a, it's a matter of political will and political decision so if you do tax credit versus issuing checks you get into a whole other administration of issuing checks the problem isn't necessarily the credit or what you're and, 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 and isn't necessarily the mechanism it is making having the political will to make the decision and the problem here is that um, it, it almost makes no sense then to collect taxes and then to reissue checks. Then the second thing, what had to do with the, the political party donations, and the problem is, I do believe that parties have to get out and hustle and, and, and get their constituency to show up. The problem is, is that political um, regimes that have a stronger appeal to more well-heeled um, constituents um, will find that much, much easier to do. And the political parties that are trying to speak on behalf of, let's say, for example, the working poor, right, will find that ex- exceedingly difficult to do. Uh, Michael, that, the Mike, Michael. Really on the margin, don't even have... Michael. Don't, people who are homeless don't have it. Yeah, go on. Okay, yeah. Michael, I'm sorry. Um, we're basically out of time. So um, thank you for your contribution. That's why I it off my chest. Okay, well, that's good. We heard you. And uh, Aaron Woodrick, thank you so much for your time. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.